Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. Such a blessing to uh, worship the Lord together and to experience His presence. And what a treasure we have in His Word. Uh, we don't often see it. We don't always see it, I'll say. Um, we're just talking before the service that if you look through the Old Testament, there's many times where God encountered His people, and it, what, they weren't necessarily shocked at it. They, they would see an angel, or they would see the angel of the Lord, and um, they were open to experiencing the presence of God, and sometimes we can be, forget that, that God is with us. He speaks to us, and every time we open His Word, we can hear from Him. It's not just, I might hear from God, but we, God is going to speak because it's His Word. He is going to speak to our hearts and to have that expectancy, like, I'm going to meet God as I read His Word. I'm going to hear Him because He's speaking. And I, I had a routine at a young age to open the Word and read through a chapter to start the day, and I'd write down a verse that I thought was meaningful. Um, and while that routine was a good discipline, it could become a routine where uh, it was routine, where it was something like brushing my teeth or eating breakfast, just something I would tick off a list to, to kind of as I went through the day. And I, I remember hearing stories of people that only had one page of the Bible, and they would pour over it, and they hungered for more, and they would memorize that page and give it to someone else so they could have the Word of God, and they, they wanted a whole Bible. And it's like, I had a whole Bible, but I didn't have that hunger that they had at that time. And uh, we just hold in our hands the divinely inspired Word of God where He is speaking to us. And what a treasure we have in him. We'll be in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, if you'll turn there. It's a good thing to think about. You may have owned a Bible for some time, but has it been a while since you opened it looking for lost treasure? Since you opened it looking for something you had never seen or thought of or heard from God that he was going to speak to your heart. And I think as we travel through life, our, our hunger to experience God or His presence, it can wane. We can lose our delight in God. We believe in God. We love God. We fear God. But the thrill of God and the life that He's given us can wane over time. And it's like we're, we can be like the, uh, the old war hero in a retirement village, you know, not, not in active service anymore, loving to reminisce of those conquests and battles and th those courageous acts that, that inspire, but no longer in active duty. And Christian, you are in the prime of your life right now because Jesus is with you and the Holy Spirit is in you and he has awesome things to do in and through your life. And life brings sorrows, it brings pains, and potentially can sap us of our joy, but our reasoning is clouded when our judgments and reasonings do not include God and what His purposes and plans are, His goodness. And today He speaks to you and me, the unknown of the world, He comes alongside and He speaks with us, He draws near so that we might hear Him and rejoice in Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us, that you are majestic and awesome and unapproachable in glory in the heavens, and yet you have come to us 
in the person of Jesus Christ. You have sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and to guide us into all truth. And you are uh, so amazing in that you would humble yourself. Lord, may we be those who humble ourselves before you, that we would seek you as precious treasure, that we would value you and time with you above any treasure of this world because you are our God. You are our King, the one who loves us, the one who has saved us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you draw near. And when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And I pray you would open our hearts to receive you and our minds to believe your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24, starting in verse 13, is where we begin. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. In our passage, there's two travelers heading from Jerusalem on the uh, road to Emmaus. That was a village about 11 kilometers away, so it was quite a journey. They left Jerusalem sad, confused, because of the things that had happened during the Passover. It's like they went with great enthusiasm and joy, maybe even singing the Song of Ascents as they, they went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and all God had done in delivering them. But the one that they had hoped would be their Messiah and King had been betrayed. He had been arrested by the chief priests and Jews, delivered to the Romans who crucified him, and they buried him in a tomb. On top of this, days later, they received a report that Jesus was not in the tomb, that he was alive. And they went to the tomb and saw that it was empty, but they couldn't find a body, and they were just mystified over what could have happened. So this was on the first day of the week. This was on the, the morning where Jesus rose from the dead. And so they're walking away from Jerusalem, sad. It says, reasoning as they conversed. So they're talking, they're reasoning, but they can't make sense out of what has happened, out of the turn of events that transpired. And as they walk, it says Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It's like he doesn't pull up on a chauffeured ch chariot by angels and, or floating by and going, hey, you know, he, he walks alongside of them. They had no idea it was Jesus. I like the observation of Spurgeon here. He says, when two saints are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. Talk of him, and you will soon talk with him. Have you found that to be true? When you talk about Christ, that he enters into the conversation, he changes things. He changes the direction. He changes the perspective. He, he invokes hope. It's like God refreshes us and teaches us through one another as we speak of him. And it says their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. They could not recognize him. Now, God had his sovereign purposes for restraining their eyes, so they could not recognize him. At the same time, it's not a surprise because they weren't looking for him. They didn't believe he was alive. They didn't believe he could be found. They conversed, but they were words of perhaps opinion or feelings. They reasoned, yet they were mute concerning God's power and His promises, the things that He had said. Our ability to think and reason, it comes from God. But unless God reveals Himself to us, we're in darkness without guidance. And that's where they were. 
They conversed, they reasoned, but they couldn't make sense of life or what had happened. And Jesus coming alongside them in that state, it's so encouraging, isn't it? Because we've been there. Jesus didn't send an angel. He came with them. And it wasn't out of convenience, like, oh, yeah, I'm heading that way anyway. And, uh, it was because he loved them. He wanted fellowship with them. He wanted to reveal himself to them. That's why he drew near and walked with them. He wanted to bring the truth of God's word into their conversation, into their reasoning, and transform them. I don't know if you're similar, but as a kid raised in a church, I, I thought the church building was like the place to go to meet with God. Like it was a special place. It was built for that purpose where you had uh, a, a lectern where people would preach. There was uh, seats for people to sit and to hear, to worship the Lord. And it was a place that had a cross on top and a bell in the steeple, and you showed respect by not running inside, and you took off your hat when you went in, like just to show respect. Uh, it had a baptismal, like behind the lectern, there was a place where plexiglass and you could be baptized right there. So it's like the, the, just the place for ministry, that's where it is. And if you want to get right with God, if you want to find God, that's where you go. You go to this place and you meet with God. Years later, that same building was made into a pinball arcade. But you know, God's presence wasn't prohibited from being there just the same. Because it wasn't, God wasn't there because it was a sanctified place or a holy place. It's because God loves people and draws near to them. That God dwells not in houses made with hands, but in the hearts of people who fear him and love him. Every inch of this earth is the Lord's and he draws near to us wherever we are or wherever we're headed. He has that power and that desire to be with us. And looking back, can you see that God was right with you? even when you weren't walking with him or you were maybe even walking away from him. With eyes of faith, we can say, he protected me, he guided me, he helped me. And he's here in our midst because we're gathered in his name. Continuing Luke 24, 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Jesus comes along and he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about that you're so sad? This word, the sad word, Greek, it's, angry visaged, gloomy, or affecting a mournful appearance. So they were maybe angry, maybe they were upset, they were sorrowful and sad. And one of the travelers named Cleopas, he was incredulous that this inquirer wouldn't know what had just happened in Jerusalem. And that they, he wouldn't know what they're talking about because it's the thing all the Jews were talking about. That Jesus, the one that was hailed as a coming king, would be taken by their own people to the Romans to be crucified. It's like all their hopes of salvation just were dashed with his death. He was, and he, notice he says, he was a prophet, mighty indeed. He didn't think he was still alive. He thought 
Cleopas believed that Jesus was gone. They had no hope for his survival, and they were correct that he was a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He was that prophet that God spoke of through Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19. He wrote this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. He is that prophet, but more than a prophet, for he is the son of God. At his birth, he was worshipped by the wise men as the king of the Jews. And that title was tacked onto the cross at his death. Jesus is identified in Hebrews 3.1 as apostle and high priest. John in Revelation says he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But what did it matter if Jesus was dead? Like, what could he do? Who could he save if he cannot save himself? And in their devastated and confused state, Jesus came to them. Continuing in verse 21, Cleopas continuing, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The travelers, they continued by saying Jesus did not do what they had hoped. They hoped that he would redeem Israel. They weren't hoping for a personal salvation. They weren't talking about eternal life in this sense, but they wanted deliverance from the bondage of Rome, just as God had delivered the children of Israel and redeemed them from bondage in Egypt. They hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And these were not the only people who hoped that. We read, when Jesus was eight days old, he was brought into the temple to be circumcised, and there was an old man named Simeon who was led by the Holy Spirit to come into the temple at that time. He took baby Jesus in his arms. He blessed God. And this is what he said in Luke 2, 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And simultaneously as he's saying that, there's a prophetess named Anna who came into the temple at that moment. And in Luke 2.38, it says, And coming in in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Not everyone's looking for redemption. But we don't need to look any further than Jesus, who is the Messiah. Cleopas and his companion continued. They said, well, it's been three days since he died and was buried. And we received that astonishing report from the women that they had seen angels, that he wasn't there. And the words were confirmed that some of our company went and looked in the tomb and they didn't find a body. But without a body, we can't bring ourselves to believe that he's alive. It wasn't the facts. 
It wasn't the lack of evidence, right? They had the evidence, the empty tomb, the testimony of the women, the eyewitness accounts that he was raised from the dead, and he had met personally with Mary Magdalene by that stage. The problem, Jesus points it out, was unbelief in their hearts. So they knew the facts, but they could not believe. Slow hearts to believe. Now, Jesus did not do as we might have, casually pointing out the wounds. Hey, guys, see this? Want to see where that spear went in? And start talking about yourself in third person when you were there. Like, while you guys were doing that, this is what was happening to me. He doesn't do that at all. There would be a time for that. There would be a time he would appear before them and say, hey, guys, look and see my wounds. Touch them. Examine them that I am the real deal, that I am flesh and bone like you. The first evidence Jesus points to to confirm his resurrection was the testimony of what God had already said in his word. God's already spoken on the matter. McGee, he said in Through the Bible, human knowledge must be understood to be believed, but divine knowledge must be believed to be understood. I think the Bible is a closed book to the critic and the infidel. He can learn a few facts, but he misses the message. On the other hand, some simple soul whose heart is turned in humble faith to God will be enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God. The eyes of his understanding will be opened. Jesus says, in, in, uh, like to oppose their unbelief, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? They were foolish to reason and converse about things without considering what God had already said concerning the Messiah and what he would suffer before going into his glory. Wouldn't this be a great study where it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures of things concerning himself. We're like, ooh, I'd like to hear that message. We'd love to take notes. We'd love to make dot points. But God aims to teach us about himself. He just doesn't want us to take notes. He wants us to change. He wants us to encounter him. Moses and all the prophets, they spoke concerning the, God, the Messiah God would send. To expound, it means to give a detailed explanation, to lay open or interpret. And he laid out all those verses that talked about the Messiah who would suffer and then enter into glory. In Exodus 12, he was that Passover lamb, slaughtered, uh, that pointed to the Lamb of God who would die on Calvary, whose blood would be placed on the hearts of those who trust in him. In Numbers 21, the picture of the serpent being lifted up, that Jesus being lifted up would draw all people to himself. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 22 when he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the introductory line to that psalm that speaks of him, his clothes having lots cast for them, that he kept all his bones and none of them were broken, and that he was heard by God. His body was pierced. He authored Psalm 31, 5, which he spoke on the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That second part was said in the Psalms, but Jesus breathed his last at that point. In Psalm 118, he's that gate of righteousness through whom we enter by faith into God's kingdom. The stone that the builders rejected that was made chief of the corner, the sacrifice of sin bound to the altar. 
He's the Messiah spoken of in Daniel 9. That would be cut off, but not for himself. In Isaiah 52, it was Jesus' blood that sprinkled many nations. And by his shed blood instituted a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. It's like, we'd love to just have all that Jesus said. He wants us to say, are you hungry to know me? Are you hungry to walk with me? Well, dig into my word and hear what I have to say, because God speaks. The people that walked along that road, they didn't realize the pierced servant spoken of in Zechariah 12, it was the same Messiah who would deliver them in Zechariah 14 from all their enemies. Why don't we just turn to one of them, Isaiah 53, starting in verse 9. We can see this whole passage, starting in the end of Isaiah 52, going throughout Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah, what he would accomplish, and how Jesus fulfilled the Scripture. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Christ wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and it pleased God to bruise him, to make an offering for sin because of what he would accomplish, that he would plunder hell, that he would redeem souls, that believers would be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When a sacrifice was offered in the temple, those who were offering it and brought the lamb, they would put their hand upon its head and it would be slaughtered. Because they were saying, I'm putting, it was like they were putting their sins upon it. And Jesus, when he hung on the cross, the sins of the world were placed upon him. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So what left the disciples all confused and hopeless, it satisfied God's purposes. It was all part of his plan that they didn't understand yet. And Jesus is walking with them. And he's saying, look at what God has said about this. Continuing in Luke 24, 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight." They reach their destination. Jesus is like continuing right on. He's not going to invite himself to accompany them or impose upon their hospitality or stay where he's not welcome. But these two travelers, the words used, they forcefully restrained him. It's like they laid hold of him and said, you're staying with us, abide with us. It may have been difficult to find uh, lodging at that hour, but really I think they would like to converse and reason with each other less and listen to Jesus more. 
Like they're like, this guy, he knows the word. He, he gives us hope that we didn't have before and we want him. Like you, you stay with us, please, sir. And while they sat down to eat, the unknown traveler, he took bread, he broke it, blessed it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened to recognize him as Jesus the risen Lord. And this is something he did many times in the presence of his disciples, most recently at the Passover, where he took that bread and he, he broke it and handed it to them. Suddenly he vanished and Cleopas and his friend, who remains unknown, they're just sitting there with a piece of broken bread in their hands going, we just encountered the living bread that comes from heaven, who's alive, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, his blood had been poured out for their atonement, forgiveness, and justification. It's like they were alone, but they knew they weren't alone because Jesus lives. And that's an awesome truth. What would you have done at that moment? I frankly have no idea what I would have done. Luke 24, 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The hearts of these travelers who were slow to believe, their hearts burned as they heard the word of God and they listened to what Jesus was saying during that 11-kilometer journey. And the opening of the scriptures, it provoked that same response in both of the disciples. Their hearts burned with desire, hope against hope, encouraged by the expounding of biblical teaching, relating to the suffering and the glory of Christ. And I love that you don't have to go to Israel or find this road where Jesus appeared to experience the presence of God, to, to experience brothers and sisters that have that burning heart who, who love the scriptures and what God has said. And it's like steam venting from a boiling kettle. The joy and the, the knowledge of God, it, it seeks a vent. And when we, when we know God and when we've heard from God, we love to speak about him with excitement and delight. Now, Jeremiah, he talked about God's word being like a burning fire within him. He's like, oh man, I'm, I'm tired of restraining it. I'm weary from holding it in. But it was not weariness here that prompted them to speak and to go at that same hour, 11 Ks back to Jerusalem, but joy and thanksgiving. They sat down to eat supper, but at that revelation of who Jesus was, they just turned right around and went back to Jerusalem to find the 11 and the other disciples. Matthew Henry says, These disciples were full of this matter themselves and must go to their brethren to give vent to their joys. And when we receive, when we have good news, isn't it so natural in us to want to tell someone about what we found or what we've done or what we've received or accomplished? Think about the shepherd who found the lost sheep. The woman who swept the house over and over to find that lost coin. The, the dad whose son returned, who was like dead, but now he's alive. He's like, it's time to party. It's time to tell people about this great thing that's happened. We want to celebrate. 
And the question is, is Jesus your chief joy? Is he somebody? Like, okay, you got that, uh, you know, acceptance letter. You got the job. You got this thing that you're like, this is great. And you want to tell someone. Well, what about Jesus? Do you want to tell others about him? When you open the Bible and God speaks to you, do you share it with others? The term venting, wouldn't you say that has a negative connotation, right? When you're venting to blow off some steam, if steam is very hot, it burns. Uh, We vent about what annoys or bothers us. When God opens our eyes and our joy is full, it's not just hot air that we're venting, but the delight of our hearts that compels us to share Him and His goodness. That being said, venting, I mean, it'd be great if we always vented of Christ, but venting can be dangerous um, because of heat and pressure. If we allow anxiety, bitterness, or despair to build up without the relief valve of repentance being opened, venting does damage to others and it hurts. So it was love that was compelling them to go back, not because they wanted to prove other people wrong. They were excited that Jesus was risen, and they just had to let the other believers know who were sorrowful like they were. They wanted them to receive the joy of the Lord. It's love of God and others that moves us to first listen to Christ, then speak. So after returning to Jerusalem, they found the 11 apostles and disciples. They confirmed that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they told about the things that had happened on the road, the things that Jesus had said to them, the scriptures he had opened. They said, hey, he broke that bread, and it's like we recognized him. And then he just disappeared, right? We didn't see a body before, but then we saw him. But he's alive. We know it. We've broken bread with him. And had they not asked Jesus to abide with them, they may have never known the true identity of that traveler. They may not have known, but they just compelled them. They said, abide with us. And when we say, Lord, I want to abide with you, he will speak to us. He will minister to us. And we also learn in this passage that Jesus personally appeared to Simon. I don't think there's another area that talks about their meeting until later in Galilee. Interestingly, Jesus revealing himself to Mary Magdalene, to these travelers along the road to Emmaus, it did not mean that the apostles and disciples believed that he was risen. Because they're like, the facts are so clear. Of course they would believe, right? They've seen all these miracles that Jesus had performed. Mark 16, 12 and 13, it says, After that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. All the facts, they still did not believe. Sometimes we think if we just knew the right thing to share, if we had the perfect scripture, people would believe. But that didn't happen to believers. Okay, they're, they're talking to believers. They're not talking to skeptics here. They're talking about people who had, were eyewitnesses of what Jesus had done for three plus years in his ministry. And upon hearing this, they still did not believe. They needed God to open their eyes so they could recognize him, so that they could believe him, so their hearts would be set afire with his joy and love. Now, our point of application, it comes from a point earlier in Jesus' ministry. 
If you could turn to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17. After Jesus began to call disciples to follow him, he returned to Nazareth where he grew up. And people there, they were familiar with Jesus. They thought they knew him. He's the son of Joseph and Mary, and he's a carpenter, and we've known him since he was a little kid. They were blind to his real identity as the son of God because they thought they knew him. They thought they knew him. They didn't know him. They could recognize him. They conversed with him. They were familiar with him. He lived amongst them, but they did not know him yet. These are devout, God-fearing people who go to synagogue on the Sabbath, who observe the law. Yet Jesus could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. They didn't believe in him. Luke 4.17 tells us what happened during a visit of Jesus to the synagogue. It says, And he was handled the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All the eyes of the people, it says, were fixed on Jesus. As he read this passage, big scroll, he finds this particular portion. Didn't have to turn to it. He could have just recited it to them, being the author. But he turns to it and he reads it to them. Like those sad travelers, though, these folks in the synagogue, they did not recognize him as the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus had been anointed to preach, to heal the brokenhearted, to recover the sight of the blind, to free the oppressed, to proclaim God's grace. God had anointed him for those purposes. And notice verse 21, it says, He began to say to them today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, because he was not given the opportunity to finish crazy, right? See, unless Jesus opens our eyes to see, we can sit in a synagogue, we can sit in church and remain blinded by unbelief, thinking we know all there is that that we need to know, while Jesus has more to say to you and to me. We should not be just content with knowing facts about God or knowing about the, the plan of salvation, which we ought to know. We should want to dig into the scriptures. We should have a working knowledge of them. But God has more to say, and Jesus said that. I have many things to say to you. I can't say them all now, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will guide you into all truth. He will teach you. And he is the one we have received when we're born again. May the Lord open our eyes to recognize Jesus that we would see our need for him, that we would abide with him and say, Jesus, I want you with me, and I want to be with you, and that our hearts could be set alight by his word. Just feel like to encourage you, you might feel like an unknown at work or at church or wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, but you are known and you are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He draws near to all the unknowns, wherever they are and wherever they're headed. 
to reveal himself as he opens his word, to show that he has suffered for your sin so you could be redeemed, so you could be justified, so you could grow in knowledge of him. Isn't that wonderful that he comes alongside, he walks with us, he communes. Will you be one who just lets him, he said his peace, and you just let him continue on his way? Or will you lay hold of him? Say, Jesus, I'm not letting go. I want you to stay with me. And then we stay with him. Praise the Lord for the good news we have of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he does walk with us and that where we meet, there he is in the midst. Because, and it's our hearts that have been set aflame by his love. And what good news we have to share and to walk in and rejoice in even in difficult times. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you do set our hearts alight, that you do open our eyes. And I pray that we would not be like those, I guess, blinded believers who walked along the road, who conversed and reasoned, but you were not in their thoughts. You were not in their words. But thank you for coming alongside of them and walking with them and opening the scriptures to them and revealing yourself to them in the way that you broke that bread. And thank you for being that living bread come down from heaven that was broken, your blood shed, so that we could be cleansed from our sins when we repent and trust in you. Thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, not just for heaven, but for an abundant life here today with you wherever you have us. And thank you for the example of these believers, Lord, who went back quickly to Jerusalem that same hour to report the great things that you had done. And I pray, Lord, in us there would be just those scales fall, just to fall from our eyes, our hearts to be filled with joy, and our lips to speak forth your praise, because you are good. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Father, not just for our benefit, not so we can just have an experience or empowerment, but for the glory of your name and of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.